Our scripture passage for the morning is found in Ephesians 4. Allegedly, I am to preach on verses 17 through 32. I don't think that's going to quite happen. There is just too much here. So we will make reference to 25 through 32, and then we're going to circle back next week and finish it off. But this is one of the great passages of the book of Ephesians, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of one each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you." This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for these words, for all that you have revealed in accommodating yourself to us. You have given us your word through the pens of apostles and prophets. We give thanks for it this morning, and we ask, Lord, that your spirit would give us understanding. Speak, for your servants are here to listen. Amen. Two weeks after September 11th, 2001, Lynn Simpson sat for an interview. She was a survivor of the World Trade Center. She worked on the 89th floor and was present when the planes crashed into the building. As she sat for the interview, she was obviously still shaken. She still had the clothes that she had worn on the day, and the smell of burning ash was still in her hair. She was frightened and startled as she told the story of how she escaped from the 89th floor, crisscrossing floors, going through a maze of stairwells and tunnels, and she exited the building one minute prior to its collapse. Lynn now lives in Pennsylvania. She can't even return to New York City. She describes her experience on September 11th as one of trauma. Because 10 years after that initial interview, she took another interview, a decade later, to describe her life. She suffers from PTSD, understandably. She can't concentrate for long periods of time. She's oftentimes overwhelmed with anxiety, and she reacts irrationally to loud noises. During the interview, this is what she said. It's very hard to admit 
that you're not going back to be back to your old self. Whether you had an accident or hip surgery or whatever it is, you've changed. September 11th changed me. And no matter how much I try and talk myself into the fact that I'm going to get back to it, it's not going to happen. Lynn experienced trauma on September 11th, a trauma that many of us witnessed over televisions, but one that she lived, one that has permanently changed her. It was an event that altered the course of her life. She was profoundly changed by the trauma. And in Ephesians 4, Paul says something similar has happened to the Christian. That there has been a trauma that we have experienced that forever alters the trajectory of our life. That it changes us forever. That we can't go back anymore. But what precisely is it that Paul says happens to us? It's captured in this simple statement that we've encountered the truth that is in Jesus. Read with me in verses 20 and 21. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul is speaking here to the church and he's telling them that they can't return to their former ways prior to their conversion, but that they have heard the truth that is in Jesus. They have encountered the truth that comes to us in Him and that they have been changed. The path is altered. And there's three things, though, about this encounter with truth that Paul tells us. He expands it in verses 20 and 21. And the first thing we learn about this encounter with the truth is that Christ is the subject. Notice what he says in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. And so this is what this church in its formational days heard about. They learned Christ. He was the subject of the teaching. He was the content. And friends, oftentimes in churches, we can get distracted by so many different things. We can get distracted by programs. We can get distracted by people's good behavior. We can focus on so many different things that we lose the essential content, the subject of all preaching and teaching that goes on in the Christian church. Christ is the subject. And so this is what they heard about. But then secondly, we also learned that not only is Christ the subject, but Christ is also the teacher himself. Follow into verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him. Typically, it's not my practice to, uh, to distrust the translation that is in front of you, but I have to admit that the editors of the ESV here inserted the word about. You can find this in most of your standard commentaries. But rather than saying about, it should read, assuming that you have heard him, that when we hear Christ as the subject of the teaching, we are also hearing Christ himself. Last week in Ephesians 4, we learned that Christ, when he ascended on high, after dying on the cross and rising from the dead, that he ascended and gave gifts to men. And in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13, we find out what those gifts are. They were the apostles and the prophets. They were the shepherds and the teachers who were given to the church in order to equip the church and train it in godliness. And so the teachers belong inside the church's life in order to instruct it. 
And in our theological tradition, we've always held that in, the, uh, in instruction that is in keeping with Scripture, that we don't simply hear the voice of man, that we actually hear the voice of God. And so encountering the truth that is in Jesus, we hear Jesus himself as our words are faithful to Scripture. And the final piece of this, of what happens when we encounter the truth that is in Jesus, is that we also learn that Christ is the context of that teaching. Verse 21, assuming that you've heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. The teaching happens in Jesus as well. And this means that it happens in a location, a specific kind of context. And this is referring to the body of believers who not only buy in intellectually, but buy in with their whole lives to Christian teaching. That the context in which we learn things does impact the message. And when we have someone who believes and wholeheartedly gives themselves over to a message and teaches us, this is what Paul is talking about. Is that the context we are taught in him, that we learn in him, that that location is important. And when we encounter the truth in this way, something happens to us. But Paul is now going to turn and he's going to develop what this truth that we learn from Jesus is. So what is it specifically that we hear? If you'll turn your attention now to verses 22 through 24, what do we hear from Jesus as he teaches and instructs us? And there's two things that are developed here. And the first is that we are not what we used to be. You'll notice that the passage begins in verses 17 through 19, where Paul is encouraging these Christians no longer to walk in the futility of their minds. He recognizes what they once were. This word futility is interesting. It is the one that is used uh, with regularity in the book of Ecclesiastes. It is an empty way of life that uh, has no meaning and is constantly searching for some kind of fulfillment. And Paul is pointing out that they are no longer to live that way and walk that way. And he is now saying that because they received the truth that is in Jesus, that they are free to live and walk in another way. Now there's a traditional way of reading these verses that is mistaken. It's very easy to read verses 22, 23, and 24 as instruction. That because you've received the truth in Jesus, you are now to put off, you are to be renewed, and you are to put on. And so we read those verbs as if they were imperative commands that we are to be doing now. The problem is, is that grammatically that doesn't work out. And what's happening here in verses 22 through 24 is Paul is explaining what the truth that the church had heard was. The truth in Jesus that they had received. And so rather than imperatives, uh, these are infinitives. And he's explaining what it was that they had been taught. What they had learned from Christ. And what they had learned is that they were to put off their old self that they were to be renewed in the spirit of their minds, and that they were to put on the new self. And that these are all past actions. They are past tense verbs in the original. And so Paul is explaining something that happened to them when they encountered the living Jesus and they were taught by him. Friends, this is what has happened to us as well. 
that we have put off the old self and we have been clothed in the new self. And the old self is simply the sinful self that is governed and controlled by sin. This is what it is. It's just the person who's given over to futility, the one who is alienated from God. It's the condition that we are all born into. This is where we live. But yet, because we have encountered the truth, because we've encountered Christ, that has now been put away. doesn't mean all sin has been put away, but the old self who is dominated by sin has been. And then that a new self has been created. And you notice this in verse 24. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is actually the second time that Paul uses the language of new creation to talk about conversion. At the end of Ephesians 2 and verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That God creates us fresh and new. That He speaks a word just as He spoke and brought creation into existence in Genesis 1. He speaks once again and freshly recreates us after His image in His likeness and true righteousness and holiness. And so Paul is pleading with us to understand that we are not what we once were. That God has done something to us in Jesus to make us something new. Several years ago when I was planning a church in Washington, I had a group of, of guys and there were a couple of young guys who were fresh, freshly converted. And it was exciting to walk with them through the basics of the Christian faith. And so we decided to form a Bible study and they said, well, you recommend the book. And they all laughed at me because I gave them a book one day and it was entitled, You Can Change. And they thought, man, this is going to be that moralistic stuff that we have rejected all of our lives. Why is he giving me this book you can change? As a joke, they all ripped the cover off of the book. They did agree to read it. And they all found themselves surprised because they encountered truths like this from Ephesians 4, where the power of change is not attributed to the self, but it's attributed to the grace of God and that we can experience change and transformation because of what God has done on our behalf in Jesus. And so the entire book, You Can Change, was built on grace. And friends, this is what we have to consider. That all sanctification, all progress in righteousness and holiness happens because of what God has done to us in Jesus. That we are not what we used to be. That we have encountered the truth of the gospel. That we have heard Christ. That God has enabled us to respond. And now we can experience the powers of renewal. That we have put off the old self. And we have put on the new self. We're not what we used to be. And the second piece of this truth is that now we are to become who we truly are. You are not what you used to be, but you're not what you yet will be. That we are in progress. God has created us new, but yet sin still hangs around our lives. I don't have to convince you of that reality. That it's still present. 
But yet we are not captive to the old falsehood, to the way that dominated us, the futile, empty, and dark way of life prior to our conversion. And so how exactly does this work, though? Many of you have heard me tell the story about my sons as they were growing up and as they were transitioning in that three- to five-year-old window. Melissa and I's goal has always been to give them increasing senses of responsibility as they reach new stages in life. And so the way that we talked about that with them was being a big boy. And so we would encourage them, are you a big boy? And they would say, yes, I'm a big boy. And then from time to time, there would be behaviors that would be sub-big boy behaviors. You know, what was not appropriate for a big boy. And so the conversation that we would have, we called them man-to-mans in the Colson household. We would sit down and talk about what big boy behavior looked like and what their current status was, um, what their current performance was. And, uh, and so they would respond, yes, well, that's not big boy behavior. And then we would give them the charge, be a big boy. You are a big boy. Be that big boy. And friends, this is the truth of the Christian gospel worked out for us. That God assigns us a status. He says something has happened to us. We have put off and we have put on. That we have been renewed by the truth that is in Jesus. And now because of that, we can experience change. You notice that the therefore, verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. Paul is going to go on to give loads of commands at this point from verse 25 through 32. But he only does so after first stating the grace that belongs to you. And this is so important to understand the ethical vision of the Christian life. It's that we don't start with the commands. You're not told to pull up your moral bootstraps and make yourself good. You're told what God has done for you and what he has done to forgive your sins and then enable you to walk in a new way. And so Paul says, having put away falsehood, and falsehood there is this old way of life in verses 17 through 19. It's the futile way of life that was hardened and calloused and ignorant and alienated from God. That has been put away. Therefore, having put away all that falsehood, let us now, dot, dot, dot. This is the foundation of Christian growth and change. Yes, you can change, but you cannot change inside of your own resources. That the change that we experience can only happen inside of the grace, this foundation that is being laid about the truth of Christ that was preached to this church. Our struggle is that we don't count ourselves new in the way that God does. We tend to cart around our old stuff, we hold on to it, and we take it through our lives, and we struggle to consider ourselves the way that God reckons us to be. Several weeks ago, I was in the sound booth scurrying around, which it's always terrible news when I'm in the sound booth. It means something has gone wrong. One of the wires on the microphones had malfunctioned. It was not working, and so we needed to find a new one. We were opening up one of the cabinets and looking for new microphone wires. Ryan Reeves was standing beside me, and he was digging through a bin. We found one, and it was with glee and excitement that we grabbed it, got it out, started to plug it in, and we noticed there was a little tag on it, and it said, dead. 
And uh, Ryan looked at me. He said, you know, this is kind of like sanctification, isn't it? (laughs) We keep around the stuff that's dead that we don't need. And we cart it with us through our lives. And we think somehow it's going to help us. And so we'll put it up in a cabinet and keep it there for safekeeping. May need to bring that little sucker out sometime. But friends, you're new. God has made you new. He's created you afresh. He's spoken a better word of creation. He's taken you out of the death and the futility. And he's brought you into new life. And Paul is pleading with you here that you see yourself in this way. That you count yourself this way, dead to the old manner of life, alive in the new, renewed by the Spirit of God. Therefore, now walk this way. That is where he's taking us. And he takes us into a vision of the Christian life that is whole and pure, where we speak the truth, where we forgive, where we don't grow angry in sinful ways, that we put aside malice and slander. Commands that we need to carefully consider and why we need to give a whole nother week to them. But the foundation that is laid is extraordinarily important. That yes, you can change but you can only change inside the grace of God. Lynn Simpson, in her interview, she closed with this. She said, no matter how much I try and talk myself into the fact that I'm going to get back to it, it's not going to happen. And I've accepted that. And once I accepted it, it was okay. She, of course, was speaking about her trauma, that she had to accept it that life was not going back, and that it is now okay for life not to return. You have to accept the same thing. You've encountered the truth that is in Jesus, that your old self is dead, that you've been raised to new life, that you have been renewed by the Spirit of God. Accept it, and then live in concert with it. Go with the grain of what God is doing in your life is Paul's argument and appeal that we need to get along with this truth because this is the grace of God. This is the activity of God in us. And it is from that activity that we can then hear his command to turn away from sin. And so friends, let God have his way in you as he works out his great plans to renew you, as he works out his new creation. Let's pray. Father, we do give thanks for these marvelous truths. The truth that we have encountered in learning Christ, in being taught by Him, in learning Him inside of a certain context that our old man has been put off and that we've been raised to new life. Lord, we give thanks for all that Your grace does. Forgive us for the ways that we minimize it and help us to accept it and to get along with it, to trust it, to follow You. Help us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.